Hello and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is really wonderful to be with you on this beautiful November day in our nation's capital. My name is Will Stockdale. I'm a ministry associate with Ministry to State here with uh, my very good friend and colleague, co-worker, Robert Hassler. Um, Robert, the Braves won the World Series for the first time in 26 years last night against those cheating Houston Lastros. Thoughts on on the game, on it taking place in six games? Oh, man, what a series. I mean, first off, huge shout out to Freddie Freeman. That guy is just an awesome dude. I love him. He's awesome. His his post-game interview made me smile so much. Yeah, dude just loves baseball. He loves his family. It's just awesome. Good for did him. you hear? Did you hear what uh, he said when the interviewer uh, said, "When you hit that home run, you there was a lot of emotion. What were you thinking?" And no, he goes, he, "He said honestly, not much. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was just so. He's like, he goes, I mean, you know, hitting a home run in the World Series is kind of a big deal. <laughs> so he was just so thrilled <laughs> to to have done that, to hit a home run in the World Series, and uh, he was saw his family and and people cheering, and he just." He just went with it, but, and it was so fitting, poetic. I mean, he's been with the Braves since 2007 Mm -hmm. that he uh, got the last out at first. Yeah. I thought that was great. Um, I also was happy for Ron Washington uh, as someone who grew up in DFW area and watching him uh, with the Rangers, you know, he's got a storied career in the MLB. He's been around, I think since the late seventies. So for him to see, you know, for him to get a World Series win, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for Ron Washington. For sure. For sure. I love that he um, has an appearance in uh, Moneyball. Um, yes. Because he was, he was the, I think the, one of the, like the first base coach or something like that for the, the, at the A's during that storied run. Um, and the guy who plays him has, has some pretty key lines that you just imagine Ron Washington doing. And that's pretty awesome. So, Yeah. Good for the Braves and always a good day in America when the Astros lose. So, you know, and it's good for the sport of baseball too, because the Astros with their cheating scandal, I know people are going to say things like, well, everyone was cheating regardless. They're the ones who got caught. And if that's what we're going to get mad at someone about, it's that they got, they cheated. No, they were the cheaters. Uh, And they're, they're kind of doing uh, for baseball, what the Patriots did for football with the whole deflate gate scandal. So I, uh, yeah, I'm glad the Braves won. I uh, just growing up in the days of Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones and John Smoltz and Tom Glavin and um, Greg Maddox and Bobby Cox. And so it's fun to see them kind of back because they were so dominant in the 90s. Um, but that that isn't the main reason we're here, although we could talk more about baseball, of course, uh, the fall classic. Uh, we do have the main thing we wanted to talk about probably some things that people have been thinking about, but, but another thing is it was election day yesterday. And as ministry of state um, employees were paying attention to this and especially the governor's race up here in Virginia that um, took a lot of press coverage, a lot of ad time taken up on TV with that race between Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe and um, Glenn Youngkin came out victorious. I didn't know this, but he went to rice uh, Glenn Youngkin went to uh, yeah, school basketball. Rice and, I'm pretty sure. 
Yeah, apparently he, uh, I was told this last night, but he had an average of 0.2 steals a game and 1.7 points. So he was a real camaraderie guy. I think yeah, he there was. you go. A real hustle player. A real hustler, real lunch pail guy, as they say. <laughs> yeah, uh, as a resident of the great Commonwealth of Virginia, um, that election has basically dominated our airwaves uh, for the last year or so. Um, and pretty surprising victory, I think, for, for most people. Um, you know, definitely getting there towards the end, especially the last two weeks, it, it did feel like Yunkin did have a lot of momentum. So I think sort of the, the value pick was on Yunkin to pull to squeak out a victory, but I think a lot of people had doubts. Um, and so as we were watching the, the results come in last night, um, just to see Yunkin perform in some of these key counties, um, yeah, it just became evident more and more as the night went on that he was probably going to pull it out. And then it got really interesting watching the New Jersey race as well, because that race ended up being way closer than anyone was expecting. And I think I think as of right now, as we're recording, it's it's pulled away a little bit for Murphy, the Democrat. But like when I turned it on this morning, it was like literally a dead tie. I think the difference was like 300 votes with like 88 percent reporting, which just goes to prove how close these things can really be well yeah and i'm I'm thinking back to the conversation we had with jennifer marshall patterson and i don't know how much you and i agree on this as impacting the results of the race but the um the big build back better plan and all that was included in there and um the concerns that were raised by joe manchin and kirsten cinema um and um mcauliffe admitting that Biden has not been as much of a boost to his campaign as he was hoping. Uh, it does make me wonder, uh, you know, what role has uh, these policies uh, that Jennifer Marshall Patterson discussed and, and I think helped kind of unpack a little bit, not only on the show, but in her article, how much has that had an impact on the way people voted um, in this election as well? I mean, there's a ton of things that uh, go. I mean, I mean, New York has a new mayor now as well. Um, with I was listening to the radio and and the support the commentators are saying that um, it's a much different tone than was there with the from the past mayoral office and so just um, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that uh, just that there there is something going on here and interested to see what the future holds in terms of um, um, what what agendas are going to be driving people at the polls. Yeah. Yeah, you know, to me, it just seems that we're reverting back to sort of very basic political instincts. You know, there's so much that can be said about the Virginia race, which is the one I follow the most because I'm a resident of Virginia. Um, and these issues affect my family and affect my life um, uh, in a more important way than maybe other races that were going on. But, you know, it seems that at least in Virginia, there was a real concern about what how are these policies whether it's covid related education related economically related how are these policies affecting families um, parents uh, and raising their children and you know that's a very base basic political instinct um and i think there's a lot of concern in those areas and so politicians who are able to step in and speak to those concerns uh, prudently uh, and in a way that honors, you know, the the God 
God's design for the family, I think are going to be incredibly effective. And I think they're incredibly unifying too. You know, with, with Youngkin's campaign, uh, at least from the numbers that I can see, I mean, you're seeing people across all demographics, you know, racial demographics, socioeconomic demographics, um, rural versus urban versus suburban, you know, uh, really come out for, and I think respond to Youngkin's, you know, last three week push about giving parents more control over their children's education, you know, recognizing that parents have a very key role in educating and raising their children. And I think a lot of people respond to that and it, it doesn't, it doesn't um, depend on, you know, your background or where you come from or how much money you make. Most people sort of recognize deep down that that's an important, you know, tenet of being a a human uh, and being a parent. And so uh, I think, Politicians who of, of any party that are able to step in and talk about those things, I think are going to find a lot of success uh, moving forward. Right. You and I were talking before the show about a lot of the data that was coming back with the polling results and who voted for who and uh, different different um, regions and different counties who were voting. And look, the Virginia race has taken up the national spotlight for a number of reasons. One is that the people who write the news uh live closest to it. And so there's certain um, little bit of a bias there, but it is, it is influential for a couple of reasons. I think beyond that, that are uh, as legitimate. Um, But I, you know, it might be worth just for people who are interested in politics. uh, A lot of people may have already done this, but just to go in and kind of look at um, the trends that are here and who voted what way and what you think may have been some of the reasons and, um, what is really driving people and what is of interest. And I think um, one of the, I saw an interesting tweet from Michael Ware uh, yesterday, who's a, who's a very insightful political commentator and, and worked um, uh, in the, in the Obama administration, but that there is a, uh, an impulse here within politics to not just demonize, but um, crazify, make <laughs> insane or crazy your opponent to such a degree that they're affiliated with something that may not be true. And, fearmonger people into voting for you instead because the alternative is so bad. I think that's for my life. That's what I've seen though. I don't think that's anything particularly new. Um, the issues have changed, but in terms of um, I think what it was more, maybe the issues have gotten further apart. There's more clarity here and the um, the implications seem to maybe be bigger, but I think he is right in saying that, that that is the political strategy of the day. And that is not sustainable for any people and something that we would hope doesn't persist. For sure. I mean, I, I, I think a great example of this is the heads that I kept watching while I was trying to watch my Washington wizards play basketball uh, uh, that was trying to, you know, basically define Yunkin as the Trump insurrectionist insurrectionist can, uh, candidate. And you have to just kind of sit there and scratch your head and be like, wait, what does Youngkin have to do with what happened on the 6th? I didn't even know who he was on that day. So, you know, you really have to wonder some of what some of these strategies are. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I would hope that you step away from some of this, you know, you're right. It's like beyond polarization. It's, it's something different. And I would hope that we step away from the brink on this kind of stuff and we can just get back to talking about real issues that matter to people. I mean, I, I, I joked last night, I tweeted, I said, hundred percent of the exit polls at the sheets by my house is that gas is too dang high. And like, the reality is that you can sit there and talk to people at the pump and like, it doesn't matter their polit- political affiliation. 
they're just sitting there being like, man, I wish somebody would run on like lowering gas prices. <laughs> and uh, the candidate who can come in and figure out how to do that well is going to be really successful. Right. You mentioned polarization and something that I've seen is this is a little bit probably part of a bigger conversation at another point. But one thing I say is, you know, conservatives say this and progressives say that. And uh, I, I don't I don't understand that because those aren't the mirror opposites of each other. If you're talking about on a on a sliding scale, uh, liberal is on the other is is the mirror opposite of conservative or the uh, mirroring side of the of the of the um, sliding scale or the spectrum. But that's that's not why we're here. Um, we're here because something that's been in the news that is. Interesting, something that that uh, that fits into a genre of conversation, a topic that I've been thinking about off and on for a while. Um, that is kind of a, a human endeavor that has taken on a new shape, um, and that is the uh, change of Facebook's name to from Facebook to Meta. Uh, that is to incorporate all of their businesses, and the reason that. Mark Zuckerberg has done this is because he's very interested in this thing called the metaverse. And the uh, there's a lot here. Facebook is investing $10 billion into this. Uh, and the, the, the metaverse began with probably in thought before this, but several years ago, Facebook purchased a virtual reality headset company called Oculus. And this Oculus company is a way that you can put on this headset and you wear these goggles that give you an immersive virtual reality experience. That way, where you, if, if, if anyone's ever uh, played around with virtual reality, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. But you put on this headset and as you look around and move your head or walk, you're, you are moving in another world that is not this one. And you can create things or you can pretend like you're scuba diving even or in space or you can play video game, all these kind of things. So the metaverse was birthed out of this Oculus headset. And actually the, the metaverse is a reference to a sci-fi um, story, but um, the, the, the design uh, is something that uh, Mark Zuckerberg is pursuing because he wants to create a more immersive experience for people who are engaging with his platform. And if you listen to his speech, if you listen to him describe this, one of the things he says is that, you know, we're so limited by our, by our screens for our human interaction, how much greater would our human interaction be if we could be more immersed in a headset? And I'm like, or just take off the darn thing and turn off your phone and go grab a meal with someone. But it's like, hey, bro, there's a, there's actual real way to do this. But uh, you know, it's being pursued really heavily. The question waits to be seen whether or not it's going to be um, actualized. But the idea is to go into this immersive experience and everything from uh, engaging uh, in meetings where you sit down with someone, uh, meeting with people across the world, actually feeling like you're in the same room as them, uh, buying products. Like imagine Facebook teaming up with Target and you walk into a Target on like, maybe you also buy a, um, a treadmill. Um, and so you're, it's like you're walking and moving around and you want to look at clothes. Maybe you can't pick them up now because it might require more technology, but you can look at the, the products more and get a better idea of what it's like. And you can even like touch it and choose to buy it. And it comes in the mail to your house. Uh, something that would be a very, very great interest to them. Um, but Robert, uh, after that long explanation, I'm curious from you, what you've thought about with this, this product and how you've seen it. And, and I think that a lot of people are talking about it, or at least there's a, there's a sizable people who are concerned and it feels fairly dystopian to people, but you yeah. know, 
Well, I mean, there's a couple of things that stick out to me in the video that raise some red flags, at least from my perspective. Um, uh, the first is that there seems to be from someone like Mark Zuckerberg, uh, this idea that there is this, there is this world out there that we can retreat to and we'll sort of avoid all the problems that we live in right now. Um, and I get that sense also from Jeff Bezos. That's, that's kind of like what I read in as sort of some of the animating factors behind the space exploration stuff. This idea that like the world that we live in right now, the reality that we, we are subject to uh, is broken and inefficient. And if we just sort of find this other world, whether it's in the stars or it's, you know, deeper into the virtual world, you know, we'll, we'll avoid all these things. And I think there's a, there's a deep denial of human brokenness and human sin and that where we go, human sin will follow. Uh, so I think that's one thing. Uh, I also think that there's, there is this idea that like human to human relationships, again, are um, either an inefficiency that like technology can overcome, or it's like an accident of biology. And to me, like when I think there's a, there's an important aspect here where, you know, the first recorded human to human contact between Adam and Eve is precipitated by poetry, by song. And there's the idea that, that human to human relationship, like physical touch um, and being face to face speaks to something deeper and more spiritual about us that no you know, amount of immersive experience into technology is going to replace. But I mean, I think maybe the most concerning thing for me is as I watched that little clip was that, you know, he shows up at the, the virtual poker table in space with his friends and, you know, a couple of his friends are like floating. And then the other one decides to um, choose a robot avatar. And again, there's this, there's this uh, uh, notion that we can continue to deny uh, received identities that were given from God as human beings with particular characteristics and properties uh, like being embodied and and being sexed or being gendered. And, you know, we can continue to deny these things without any consequences. And like, to me, you know, this is related to the recent news about stuff like Instagram, which Instagram allows you to have a very customized life that you display to people on the, on the outside through the internet. And what we found out that Facebook doesn't want people to know is that people on Instagram, particularly young women are more miserable than they've ever been. And so, this idea that we can continue to like dive deeper into this stuff where we can continue to deny, you know, the way that we were made and the, the way that God has designed us um, without any consequences is to me like a huge red flag and something that, you know, Christians should just be aware of and concerned about as we continue to, to discern how we're going to engage in these platforms. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing you mentioned, the push by some of the wealthiest men in the world and I'm reminded of a conversation I had years ago with the family friend who's been very successful in his career. And he was like, you know, Will, um, the, 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 the more money you make, the more insulated you are. And I don't think this has to be necessarily for billionaires. This can be any, most of us in the Western world. Um, when, when you come from positions of education or you're able to um, have certain privileges, uh, that's just part of life from achievement, like Nothing, nothing wrong with that. There is an increased ability to be selective about who you engage with and how you engage with them. You know, and kind of the thing is, you know, if you're wealthy enough, you can go on vacation. 
And if you make even more money, you don't just stay at a hotel, you stay at a resort and you make enough money, you buy a house and then you don't have to fly commercial, even first class, you have your own plane. So you get to this world that is tighter and tighter and tighter. And um, it, I mean, maybe just, you know, a practical, maybe even like an application here is for us to be conscious of how um, our ability to select and choose, be consumers of what we can and can't have affects the way we choose to interact with people and what we choose to surround ourselves with and how we choose to think of people, because um, it seeps into our bones a lot more for me, I think, than I'm really eager to give it credit to. But there's a there's a real um insidiousness to insulation, uh, uh, insulating ourselves from people that we don't really want to be spending a lot of time around. And I think you mentioned also the uh, concept of uh, who are we in identity. And I just finished our Bible study through the book of Jonah. And one of the things that one of the commentators points out a lot is the importance of character ethics in the Christian life. And so that is after conversion, our spiritual life, as we grow to be more like God and grow closer to Jesus, our character is transformed and reshaped in new ways. And that has to be with the development of our character and our ethics, how we live rightly um, is an overflow of that, which is developed in us. And there's an old idea, um, you know, of wondering what character are we to play based on who we are, our family lineage, our beliefs, our theology is to shape that. And we're being offered something very different here through technology, um, is a very individualized, autonomous, which actually autonomous is, is, is misleading because you're completely at the whims of code here <laughs> and language that very few people understand um, to create who you want to be. And so um, there's, a, there's a pursuit here of, I think, a kind of transcendence through technology to create a new way of being that is, is not is not going to bring about happiness or contentment because it's so devoid of actuality. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think you've hit the hit the hammer on the head there. I mean, or hit the head on the hammer. What is how does it? I've always heard hit the nail on the head, but that doesn't yeah, necessarily make so, sense. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. You really got me thinking here about my colloquialisms. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think you you nailed it. I mean, um there's this idea that like, you know, it, it goes all the way back to the creation account. Like, you know, you can be as the gods, like you can, you can be as the Lord with all knowledge, with all, you know, you know, all these transcendent qualities that humans were just not born to have. And I think your point, which I, I want to sort of dive into, because I think it's really important. This, this idea that this faux autonomism, this faux autonomy, like, when I watch the the clip, I'm like, that's just so like, it's so creepy to me because I would never want to be in a social experience with my friends where like, I thought Facebook was watching and be like, keep, you know, monitoring what we're doing and like what we're talking about. And then being able to send us ads in real time, you know, based on the stuff that's just, that's just creepy. And then I think you're talking about being dictated by code. I mean, there's this whole other element of AI and its role in um, manipulating people uh, that we don't necessarily understand or really notice, but it's it's definitely there. I mean, what are the concerns that you have, particularly on those on that side of the issue of um, the proactive role that these tech companies will take in sort of nudging people where they want to go? 
Yeah, there's an interesting op-ed that we both read in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that was uh, written. Uh, two of the authors, three authors, two, but one was Eric Schmidt, who's the former CEO of Google. And then another is Henry Kissinger, um, who's been interested in this idea of tech and the way that he's interested in how it affects world leaders. Uh, and Schmidt is aware that it is, um, uh, I mean, he's so deep in it being former CEO. I mean, the guy understands this stuff like hardly anybody else. So, uh, but the the question of, of humanity and um, what will what what will happen when there is technology like AI that thinks faster than we do, incredibly rapidly faster. There's a story in the article about Gary Kasparov, who's the former um, uh, grand chess master who uh, interacted with this a supercomputer, and he was. He said this has shaken chess to the core because not only has, I don't understand chess well enough to understand how this happened, but uh, that not only this computer uh, was brilliant at chess, but it was redefining the game because it was thinking of chess in a wholly new way. Now, how it's confined, I don't know how that happens, but, you know, Gary, I'll trust Kasparov on, on, on this. He seems to know what he's talking about. Um. So, and I, you know, so, so there's this technology that, that is coming um, that I think, and getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but I think that if the church is unprepared of a, a, a new development that's coming, it is the role that AI will play in people's lives, the role that things like virtual reality and augmented reality will play. Augmented reality is a little bit more of a gateway to virtual reality because augmented reality is when you're like, um, you're, you, I can be sitting in my room and I hold up my phone and it like, like Pokemon, puts, Go. Uh, Pokemon Go is a great example. So like, you know, have these Pokemon who are around your neighborhood idea uh, and things like uh, bigger, crazier things like singularity, which I think is an ultimate goal of Zuckerberg and singularity is the uploading of someone's consciousness or, or personhood to a computer for purposes of immortality. Now, as Christians, we don't believe that's happened as possible because of um, how, who we believe the human person is. But um, as we continue to secularize, that doesn't mean that people are not going to be pursuing that more. And so my concerns apart from that, I mean, one, it's a Tower of Babel, which ended in just great destruction. So whether or not it's going to happen is to be seen, probably not. I don't think singularity is possible, but again, it doesn't mean that people aren't going to pursue it and put their hope in it. Uh, and so that's, that's something to be aware of. Um, but the other is if people were concerned about Facebook manipulating us during the elections, if people are concerned about the way the algorithms send them recommended purchases or what comes next on their newsfeed, if we thought that was bad, wait till it's fully immersive. Wait till you put on a headset and you're, are, you are given, and this is something you, you are given what they think you need and what they want and what they need for you to see for them to make more money. Mm-hmm. That this is to be monetized, guys. I mean, this the, the purpose of this is to monetize it and make more, more and more money uh, for Meta now. And also, we, we know this now, but like you know, algorithms and code are not um, uh, objective. There, there are human biases. There are values and a value system that is put into the writing of these codes, and. That means that that there is a there is a moral element, or at least and a moral element in the sense of what people think you ought to have, ought to see, what is, mm-hmm. uh, what you ought to pursue. And so I, yeah, I mean I, th- those are some concerns for me, and I think we need to be aware of how we 
play with this stuff. And last thing I'll say is this last thing I say, kind of a long rant, but Billy, you've probably seen this commercial, but Billy Eilish has a, a, a video game through Oculus, like where it's like you have this hand joysticks and you're like swiping at notes, almost like Guitar Hero, but a little more like mm-hmm. D- Dance Dance Revolution meets Guitar Hero kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, look, I'm not, I don't know if that's wrong or not. I don't have anything to say about that. But I, but the point is, there are ways that this kind of technology is seeping into us and getting closer and closer to us um, that we need to be aware of. Um, and it's trying to get in the day-to-day as an escapism. And I promise this will be the last thing, but before I forget, I'll say, when you can live in a world that you can t- totally control, which is virtual reality. Robert, if you're in a virtual reality world and you're next to me and I look over and see you, I can turn down the volume if I don't want to hear you. I can silence you. I can shrink you and push you further away if I don't want you close. I can put just myself around the only the people that I want. I can make all of those choices and customize everything, which is not the real world. Right. And so when we're when people put themselves in that, the real world can be pretty tough um, when when you can't control it like that. No, I think so, you're exactly right. I mean, you're kind of already seeing like the first like vestiges of this, you know, you were the, you were the one that brought this, this to my attention. Like, you know, after 20 months of a pandemic where most people have been able to sort of self-select, you know, who they're around either via zoom or in their homes, you know, then going back out into the real world, dealing with, you know, customer service representatives or their waiters and waitresses and like freaking out on people for the smallest inconveniences. I mean, that's just after 20 months of like zoom. I mean, imagine, you know, exactly what you're saying. Like imagine, you know, stepping out of a virtual world where you can do all of that kind of stuff and then having to like go buy something at the store. I mean, people are going to be insufferable. I mean, I I think that's a really important observation. I think also one thing that this, this tech stuff um, fails to um, take note of. And I think it's, I think it sometimes gets overlooked that a key aspect, and I think you're getting at it, a key aspect of, of humanity and relationships is accountability. VR, you know, the, the Bible tells us we are our brother's keepers. VR encourages, you know, passive participation in all of these different things. You log on when it's convenient for you and the company or the whoever's providing the service basically sets up all the things that you need. And then you get to basically play around and you don't have any accountability with anybody. Isn't it interesting? Like VR is never going to figure out a way to deliver meals to the to the needy to the homeless right that is always going to have to be something that people organize together who keep each other accountable you know to, to show up and deliver meals and to care for people um, who are not their own i mean that's just something that's that's built into the human um, psyche that who we are that vr can't replace and so um, as much as we you know, sinfully want a world where we're not accountable to anybody. That's just not the reality. And so um, I think that particularly Christians, as we think about this stuff, because you just know, right, you know, in 10 years, 15 years, you know, whenever VR does become a thing, you know, 10, 15 years after that, they'll, you'll, you'll get the first advertisement for virtual reality church, um, where you put on your headset, you walk into the congregation, just like you would, but like, what are the things that won't be there? What won't be there is, hey, we need you here on at 9 a.m. on Sunday because we need somebody to watch the kids for Sunday school. Like, hey, we are going to deliver meals today, you know, for, th- you know, for Thanksgiving. We need you to show up here, drive your car. Like that stuff, 
that aspect of community of, of the people of God, the body of Christ, you know, can't be replaced by VR and um, churches should recognize that and be really mindful of, of these creational norms that we have in Genesis and what the people of God have been called to do. Um, as we can, as we discern, like, what of these things will we adopt? What will we, we say, you know what, it's just not worth the risk. Yeah. The idea of virtual reality church being a thing is sadly not unimaginable to me. It probably will not be a majority thing, but, you know, I, I think you and I disagree on something. I, uh, we, we were talking and you're saying like after 20 months, people have more zoom fatigue and, um, uh, probably may not like being around VR as much because they want more human interaction. And that's true for some people, but I, I think like, you know, as we're saying uh, that as people get more frustrated with actually like our human foibles and shortcomings and uh, sins, uh, it's nice to be around, like choose my own thing. I'm just, I'm not convinced that, that we have really learned the lesson of the importance of human interaction, because honestly, it's just hard. It's just like, we're difficult as people and it requires really loving uh, and we're surrounded by a world that is, is a me, me, me focused. And, but the topic of church, like I think something else with this is we already have internet campuses. They're already internet campus and internet campus pastors for crying out loud, whatever that means, that's already a thing. And so to think like that virtual reality won't be part of that. Like I can almost see in some ways, if you believe that you can have an internet church campus, then isn't VR better than that? Right. Like if that's the logic, then yeah, let's go VR. We're actually closer to the real thing. Like this is actually much better, but again, you can, you can select and control so much. And I even see things like, you know, one of the things is you can, you can choose to worship anywhere in the world. You get together on your Facebook group and you say, Hey, we're going to worship in Turkey or we're going to worship in Mongolia or, Italy, um, and you self-select this group that you want to be in and you can all worship together. And, you know, not only, not only could you hear a message from a contemporary pastor, you could have like an avatar of a, of an 18th century or a fifth century preacher, um, delivering a sermon that we have recorded. Maybe you could even hear Augustine preach. And, um, I look as a historical novelty, maybe that's something interesting, but in terms of worship, I think that is again, very, very concerning. And look, I think something with AI in our therapeutic age, um, AI, it, it is, it is, has a moral bit, but artificial intelligence uh, with all the input uh, and, and the way that it can be programmed, it can be way more sophisticated and powerful at offering therapy to someone than the best trained counselor. Mm -hmm. It has access to all the books. It, it can read all of your facial gestures, all your, the intonations in your voice and tell you exactly what it thinks you need to hear. And I, I think there's probably a lot of people that will be interested in that. Um, maybe not, uh, but I, 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 I'm just not confident that it won't be a thing. No, that's a very good point. I think you're, you're definitely right about it. I, I wonder you know, is it going to be one of those things where it's like early adapters, it becomes really popular and then, you know, people sign off. I, I was actually on a, uh, on a radio show of a buddies yesterday talking about this stuff. And, you know, I'll, the last thing I'll say is I think a lot of this in the context of something like online dating, where like reading someone's online profile, comparing interests and hobbies is yes, it's really exciting. 
you know, at the, at the front end. Um, and that can be really, uh, uh, you know, stimulating, but when you finally meet that person in person, when you hold their hand, when you hug them, you know, those are, those are the experiences, you know, they make the online stuff just pale in comparison, right? Those are the experiences that make life enjoyable and worth living. So yeah, maybe, you know, it's one of those things where it becomes so popular early on and then people late, you know, realize that, you know, deeply within us is this desire to be together and be connected. I, you talked about singularity and I thought of, there's a show on Netflix called Altered Carbon and I wouldn't recommend it necessarily because it does have a lot of graphic stuff in it. Um, but it is interesting that so it's a world where singularity exists. Well, uh, in that world, there are religious uh, conservatives. I don't think they're like, like there's like sex where it's between like Christians, you know, and Muslims and Jews, but I think it's all basically one like sort of religious conservative. And then there's sort of like a, a pick your flavor within that. And so one of the characters moms is a, is a Catholic and, you know, in this world of singularity where there's basically immortality, you know, it's the, it's the, the, you know, the, the religious conservatives who choose to die. Um, and they are the happiest people in the, in the world. They are, the people who understand like what it means to be human. And I think, um, you know, the, and this is hundreds and hundreds of years after this technology has been introduced. And so, you know, maybe at the beginning, a lot of people, you know, most, basically everyone adopted it. And then later on people realized mm, this isn't how we were made. And I think that's an important lesson for us as we, as we discern this technology going forward. Totally agree. Is, does this have longevity? Um, no, it doesn't uh, because of how we are made. Uh, the bigger question though is, or our concern as we seek to love and care for people and be salt and light in the world is um, how do we care for people who get hurt along the way and how do we offer wisdom and caution uh, against buying into this kind of stuff and the damage that causes, because we're, 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 we work one generation at a time in the church. I mean, that's what you see in scriptures, one generation to the next. And so we're here for, you know uh, I mean, you know, past and present and future generations and working within that. So I think that's a concern and just a desire to be uh, aware of the times, to know the times and to know how to speak accordingly to it. So I'll probably going to delete Facebook though, as, <laughs> as a result of this. So, you know, we'll see, but probably. And after all but, of this, I'm just getting rid of my smartphone. <laughs> why not? Why not? Um, but Hey, we're, yeah, we're glad you guys are here. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, it was really fun talking about this stuff. And, um, if there is ever any topic that you would like to, to, for us to be invited into, let us know. We'd love to be a part of it. And, um, as always, you can follow Robert on Twitter at Artie Hass, or you can follow me at Stockdale will, uh, at this point, Twitter is outside of the meta. And so it's safe. Who would have thought Twitter would be like the most trad of the social media platforms these days? Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, hey, we are excited. We'll look forward to being back with you guys next week.